All right, guys, welcome to another edition of Texans Unfiltered, a Houston football podcast for your Houston Texans. I am young Ari Gold, and today is kind of one of those weird days for me. It's an exciting day because I actually get to – idol's not a word I'll throw around. I, I think that's probably not fair. I'm 38. I don't know if I should have another man as my idol at this point. But I will say somebody that, I've, I, I, that got me into Houston sports radio, got me really into being a Houston sports fan – and to have the ability to have a conversation with Sean Pendergast from Sports Radio 610 today is uh, it, it's it's awesome and exciting. So, Sean, welcome to Texans Unfiltered. Ari, it is great to be on Texans Unfiltered, man. This is fun. This is a fun time of year. Just got done watching Bryce Young toss a pigskin around against air, and that gets me excited. I'm fired up, man. Pigskin, air, shorts, shirt. I mean, nothing could be more exciting. Nothing says football more than pigskin, air, shorts, and shirts. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, it's it's a it's interesting. The timeline right now is is very much uh, they're they're so pissed that Nick's not there. They they can't understand why Nick Casario is not there. And obviously, you know, you interviewed him on Monday. Mm-hmm. He told you he he pr- pretty much wouldn't be there. Do you think that there are any advantages though to being there? Like, uh, you know, I saw one person say like, well, you know, the connections, the you know, the networking, and I'm like. If anybody can call Nick Saban in the NFL and have just a genuine conversation, it's probably Nick Casario. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, Nick's been Nick Casario has been doing this for over 20 years. His network's right. fine. Like, I don't think there's anything he needs to he needs to I don't think there's anybody he needs to go meet there to feel like, OK, I need to open up this other avenue for me and either in my career or to get more information. Like, I, I would probably put his network up against anybody. Um, in a GM position and he's, you know, and he's still a fairly young guy. He's been doing it a long, long time. I think what it comes down to is, um, and I know the argument that people make is, well, you're going to be picking one of these two guys. Don't you want to get every shred of information that you can possibly get? And uh, sure, obviously you do. There's only so much time between now and the draft. They got 11 picks or 12 picks now, I guess. Um, And I think it's about Nick, being able to look at the next month or so and go, okay, what am I going to get out of going to Tuscaloosa to see Bryce Young that I either haven't already gotten or that I'm not going to get when he comes and visits NRG or through other conversations that I had between now and then. And the fact of the matter is it's not like Nick is spending his time while the, you know, while James Lipford and the scouts are in Tuscaloosa and Columbus, it's not like he's sitting in his office, you know, playing Tetris, play, playing Call of Duty. Yeah. Right, I mean, yeah. he's, you know, he's he he's he was at SMU's pro day yesterday. Yeah. I know U of H has a pro day today. I'm not sure if Nick is there or not at that, but he's he's probably doing I'll just use SMU yesterday as an example. You got Stroud's pro day going on in Columbus, you got the SMU pro day. Chances are there's things happening at that SMU pro day that he's gonna get one chance at doing, watching this guy work out, talking to this guy, talking to this coach. He's gonna get more chances to interact with Bryce Young. And let's face it, he's got more intel on Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud probably than any other prospects in this draft. So I think it's just about – Nick uses the phrase on our show a lot when he comes on with us, allocation of resources. And and usually when he's talking about that, he's talking about cap space or he's talking about draft picks or he's, you know, just some sort of capital. I I think it's – I think another resource is his time and allocating that. So I think it's about the best use of time. I don't get too worked up that he's – I don't get too worked up that he's not there. I think too, Ari, we're coming out of a, we're coming out of a phase, hopefully coming out of it, 
with the Texans where I, I think we were in this phase, and rightfully so, the Texans earned this spot, earned with air quotes, yeah. where anything they're going to do, people are going to look at with a skeptical eye. Anything they do, there's going to be a big faction of the fan base that are going to look at and say they should do the opposite. You know, they, there, there would be fans out there still, I think, that if Nick were to go to these pro days, he'd be like, well, why does he need to go there? He's talk, He knows what Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud are all about. He should be off doing something else. So I think we're coming out of that phase now. And I, think, yeah. I know we're going to talk about D'Amico probably a bunch of times when, in this conversation. I, you know, I, I, I think D'Amico is almost like the get-out-of-jail card for a lot of this stuff that, that the Texans – put themselves in, you know, with things like hiring Jackie Easterby and and giving him all that power and all those other things. Um, So uh, it's a long answer of saying, I don't have a big problem with Nick not being there. I understand it. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, it's not that big of a deal. I think if we go based off of Nick's trend from last year, it seemed like logistically staying local was his mission. Yeah. Um, And it, and it showed, right. Uh, It showed. And then uh, this year, you know, I think so. He's at SMU. He's probably going to be at U of H if I had to guess, uh, yeah. just because it's such a short drive and easy. You know, it's easy to get to. I think last year he was at UTSA, um, yeah. and so I would assume he'll probably stay within you know the the Texas range, maybe Oklahoma, whatever. Um, which I think makes sense. You brought up kind of you know every everything they do is is going to be criticized. Fair, sure. I take the approach of like. I think they have the right to be criticized up to a certain extent, but I kind of closed the chapter, closed the book. Mm-hmm. I really am not reading that book anymore. I'm kind of on Saga 2 or, or whatever series it would be. Yes. Because I don't think that there's a reason to associate the past now with kind of where they're at, right? I think a lot of times people are holding on to Nick because Easterby was here when he was hired. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest piece that people are hanging on to is you know did Easterby want Nick not yeah. and then ignoring the facts of that Bob McNair wanted Nick yeah Cal yeah, McNair wanted Nick <laughs> like, yeah. you know multiple times but yet they seem to just come out of the woodworks and and trash anything he does I think he's actually done a really good job he's missed he's missed don't get me wrong but who hasn't missed on their job I've missed on my job yep yeah, he, he's not he's not been perfect. There's no question about that. And I still I still think the jury's out on some of the bigger moves that he's made. Well, the, I think the book uh, if we're if we're going to talk about the moves where we look at and go, okay, that was questionable or it didn't work. I think that the Brandon Cooks extension, the First sequence one. of that, it, that that was a failure. There's no way yeah. to get Brandon Cooks the extension. If you told Nick, hey, Brandon's going to sign this extension in April of 2022 or whatever it was, and the end result is going to be that you're eating millions of dollars to dump him for two day three picks to the Cowboys of all teams. Right. Um, I don't think he would have said, cool, that's the goal. You know, so that was a failure. Um, I think the jury's still out on Stingley and Kenyon Green. Yeah. Uh, that, that you know, are they going to turn into guys who are worth the third overall pick or the 15th overall pick? Hell, are they – I mean, the jury's still out. Kenyon Green, the question is, is he going to turn into a viable starter, let alone right. somebody worthy of the 15th pick in the draft? So yeah, they, he he's done some things. Certainly, he's he's made mistakes or he's made moves where the jury is very much still out on those. I think to me, you know, the big things are cleaning up the salary cap. Um, you know, kind of just getting everything reset, and then obviously the Deshaun Watson trade. To me, to me, the way he handled that is something that really buys him a lot of leeway. Should buy him a lot of leeway. Um, the uh, and especially when you watch how the Packers are handling the Aaron Rodgers thing where they're at this standoff now where if they had just handled that the same way Nick handled the Deshaun trade where he wouldn't let teams talk to Deshaun 
You know, Deshaun's yeah. under contract. He's their property. Same way Aaron Rodgers is Green Bay's property. He wasn't going to let them talk to Deshaun until they made their offer. And, and, and so we're watching the opposite of that play out now with Green Bay and New York. And that's, you know, that's, I won't say it's a disaster. I think it gets done, but at the very least, it's something that's an inconvenience right now for both franchises. So, um, I, you know, I think overall he's probably done a B or a B plus job. He hasn't been perfect. And honestly, like the, the, you know, I always call it the final exam. You, you wear accounts like two thirds of your grade, like this quarterback selection is going to make or break his tenure as the general manager. If he picks a quarterback, it, whoever he picks it to, you, you know, if they're Joe Burrow, he's going to be the GM for the next 12 years. If they're Zach Wilson, there'll be a new GM by 2025. You know, that's, it just, it boils down to that, how he, the quarterback he picks. And I think at least perception wise for Texan fans, making sure that those three first rounders that came from the Deshaun trade turn into something just so that we could take a victory lap at some point right. on that. I don't know if that matters as much to Cal McNair, but I think it matters a lot to, to fans. Like what, what does the end, what does the end return on the Deshaun Watson trade look like? So I think those are the moving forward. I think those are the two big things for him. Yeah. I think when we look at the Deshaun situation, just from a trade perspective, you know, I was looking at this the other day, if I re- if I remember correctly, a, a year before he was traded, uh, the pressure around Casario was to deal him now. Uh, when Miami was involved, mm-hmm. you know, it was get rid of him, get get whatever you can. Yep. And and the offer on the table was not what Cleveland was offering. Right. It was a decent offer. Don't get me wrong. I think it was two first, a couple, and then some other draft capital. But Nick really, from a poker face perspective, and I, this is I see it on the you know people say it a lot. I don't know if anybody can read his poker face and Mm -hmm. he held out for a whole nother year, waited till the lawsuits were settled, which is prime, you know, capital. Like that's when you're going to gain the most from, from Deshaun. And to me, when I look at that, I'm like, I don't know if a lot of GMs would have done that. I I think a lot of GMs would have, would have traded them to Miami at that time. I think that might be one of his, uh, I'll call it superhero powers as a GM is that, it's a form of patience, but it's a patience with a willingness to sit amidst heavy criticism or pressure to do something or, you know, just, I, I think, I don't think you make it through these two years of the Texans as the general manager without just an, a complete ability to, I won't say to shut yourself off from, from the outside noise. I think he hears it. I know he listens to us. You know, yeah, absolutely. But, so I know he hears it. But the ability to not internalize it, you know what I mean? The ability to not take it personally, the ability to make it not affect the way, you know, to, to be able to filter it out enough to where it doesn't affect your decision making and your ability to do your job to the best, you know, to, to the best of your ability. I think he's got an uncanny way of doing that. And I think it's it's accentuated by the fact that I think Bill O'Brien, who never should have been the GM in the first place, was the total opposite of that. Right. You know, I think a lot of the reason why Bill O'Brien made such bad deals is he was totally impatient. You know, I could just envision I could envision Bill in a negotiation just saying, you know what? Cool. Here, here, Whitney, here's 58 million over four years. Fine. I don't feel like I got to get this off my desk. And that's how you wind up giving out a lot of bad contracts. That's how you wind up giving up too much draft capital for guys. That's how, yeah. you, know, you, that's how you end up giving up a third round pick instead of a fifth round pick for Duke Johnson. You right. know, a, a third round pick instead of a sixth round pick for Gary Ann Conley, things like that. So um, I think Nick's got a real ability to, uh, in a way, ignore, I guess, just ignore the noise and kind of go about his job. And I think I, 
you know, I don't, I don't know that a GM makes it through the last couple of years without the ability to do that. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. So uh, prior to this conversation, you, you mentioned, you know, quarterback at two, you know, he's got to get that right. Sean, do you see a world where that there is not a quarterback at two? Do you see a world where Nick comes out of this with a quarterback, but it's not at two? I, well, I, I'm trying to envision that. I know, I know the camp that you're in is it you're a not you're you're a don't take a QB at two guy, right? It's not that I don't want to take a quarterback at two. I I, I agree with the premise that a quarterback is needed. Yeah, I just don't buy into. I, I think I don't buy into the quarterbacks. Um, one, you know, I know he said he would draft a quarterback with uh with David as you know that he would draft a quarterback no matter who the representation is part of me still thinks that there's part of that that may not be fully true um Bryce it's just the outlier aspect it's like to sink that that amount of draft capital and 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 just from a, a value perspective if that doesn't work based on who he has liked in the past at quarterback that just seems like a massive reach to me yeah I, I like Anthony Richardson, but I don't like him enough to use it at two. But if I was to take a quarterback, I'd take Anthony Richardson just because I think if this team is development and this team is, you know, they're going to do everything right by the players and put him in positions to succeed. I think he has the highest ceiling. But yeah. but I also look at it like if you wanted to take a quarterback at two, mm-hmm. you went with a defensive-minded head coach. Mm-hmm. And, and we've seen in the NFL – that typically that does not go well when paired with a rookie quarterback. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, it's like, let's set D'Amico up then. Like if we're, if, if, if we're going to, if we're going to hire D'Amico, I don't want D'Amico to be set up for failure. I want him to be set up for success. So if yeah. we know that's the side of the ball he's going to succeed in, let's grab Will Anderson. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, well, first to answer your, your first question, um, I have a hard time envisioning a, yeah. a scenario where they don't take a quarterback. I, I think these two quarterbacks have perceptually set themselves, not just set themselves apart from the other quarterbacks, but I think have set themselves apart and done enough to show that they're worth the risk at the top of the draft to the yeah. people that matter. And so, sure. I, so I don't see that happening. I think the, the other thing for me is, okay, if you're going to pass on one of those quarterbacks – then is who you're taking it to considered a surefire, just, you know, just an ass kicker. And I know Will Anderson had early in his career at Alabama had that label. And then this past season, he was good, but not great. And now people are kind of picking away at his size. Like they, not to the extent they do with Bryce, Young, but he's viewed as a little undersized. He's not viewed as a generational prospect. Jalen Carter and getting into the trouble that he got into yeah. right before the combine, I think really kind of the word I use is destabilize the top yeah. five. Like I think Chicago, I think there's a chance Chicago is still hanging on to the first pick. If Jalen Carter had just not drag raced and been in shape for his pro day, you know, yeah. he's, he's that good. And so what is Jalen Carter? Has Jalen Carter done enough on the negative side to where he would be off the Texans board or at least off the first round for them? I could see that scenario depending on how you view leadership traits and, and, and maturity and all of those things. So now you're getting into, okay, Tyree Wilson or this or that. I, I just, I, I don't know that, I don't know that the alternative, you know, I, I don't know that there's a tremendous opportunity cost in this particular draft. If you're going to take the risk of Bryce Young or CJ Stroud at two, that you're passing on something where you go, well, we're passing on, we're passing on generational prospect X, Y, Z. So 
I, I think the the one you know maybe the one thing that could make Nick rethink it would be if he got some sort of Godfather offer from somebody other than the Colts, like the Falcons, to, like or the Falcons or the Raiders, Raiders or the or the Commanders. You know the problem is then, especially with the Commanders who are picking like sixteen, yeah. you're moving too far back. Exactly. So so you know seven is about you know like. That's the Raiders right there. Falcons yep. are eighth. You know, the, the, the Bears moved back to ninth, so they weren't afraid to do that. They felt a certain kind of way. I still think the Bears might end up drafting Jalen Carter with Probably the Probably will. Pick. The same way they – that was my – the day they made the trade, that was my prediction because Poles comes from a – Ryan Poles comes from a culture where they're okay kind of taking some character risks in Kansas yeah. City. So, um, so I, I don't see a scenario where that happens – you know, other than that, if they got some monster trade off for, you know, look, Nick knows the guys in Las Vegas, Ziegler and Josh McDaniels. Maybe they're right. having conversations. Who knows? I think they're going to come away with one of these two quarterbacks. And okay. it, it'll it'll be fun. Um, no idea if it'll work out. More of them don't Nobody work out does. than do work out. But we'll see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, with Will Anderson, I think this last year you kind of played out of position a little bit. Really didn't play his hands in the dirt, uh, which is where he thrives. Would definitely be more hands in the dirt in the NFL. So, but um, yeah, I could see the Falcons or Raiders, but I, I think like even if you wanted Will Anderson, and this is kind of where it gets tricky, I, I don't know if you could do a deal with the Colts because it's the Colts. Yeah. But, but at the same time, like that'd be an ideal target in my mind too, because, you know, you can, you can gut them while also you don't believe in the quarterback. Maybe it impact. You know, I don't know. There's just no. It's a uh, huge, so many scenarios. You know, it's I mean? a huge. You're right. You're totally right. It's a huge sway for either side. If you did a deal with the Colts and let them move up to two from four to go get one of those quarterbacks because you feel strongly enough, like I don't think these guys are the guy. Right. Then you almost like if you're that confident in your evaluation, not only are you gutting your division rival of picks, but you're if you're right in your assessment, you're handing them a poison pill in the process for five years. Yeah. Yeah. For five years that they're, you know, or for at least a few years, at least three or four. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a really intriguing scenario. Um, Probably some fun talking points. Yeah. At some, at some point I'll dust that off in like early April when we've run out of things to, you know, run out of scenarios uh, and and we're, we're, we're throwing everything against the wall on the show, but it's, it's fun. You know, like that, I hate that they lost the first overall pick in the draft by beating the Colts. It would have been nice to be picking first instead right. of second, obviously. But them picking second does add way more intrigue to all this. You know no, I mean? it definitely does. It yeah. definitely does. I, it it kind of is what it is in that situation. Where did you land on that? Were you like, were you like, oh my God, I can't believe they didn't tank? Uh, yeah. I Okay. Well, I, this I knew. They're, I knew they weren't going to tank. Now, should they have played Brandon Cook? Should they have played Laramie Tunsil? I think if you don't play those guys, it's pretty obvious what you're doing. Yeah. I know for a fact that that from ownership on down, they wanted to win the game. Sure. Uh, they, yeah, they, you know, people are, people are acting like Lovey going for two was him sticking it to the Texans. Right. You know, there's a lot of people taking that sort of victory lap. Um, I know for a fact, because there was that rumor that week that Lovey had gone into Cal McNair's office to lobby right. for his job. And I saw Cal at the press conference the day after the season, the day after they fired Lovey. They had that press conference where Nick and Cal were both up there talking that day. And I talked to Cal for a little bit after that press conference, and I asked him about that. I asked him about, did Lovey go in and, and lobby for his job? And he said, we have, you know, we had a standing meeting every week. You know, he, he and Lovey met yeah. every Monday or whatever, whatever day of the week it was. So it's not like Lovey, 
it's not like he marched into Cal's office and Cal hadn't seen him in a month. And he was like, hey, man, listen, this this three and 13 season is not my fault. I'm going to tell you right now. He didn't do that. They had a standing meeting. And Cal said in that meeting, he told Lovey to go win the Indianapolis game. You know, like, go win the game. Um, so they wanted to win from ownership on down. Like, I, there's probably Texan fans who are going to be angry hearing that. But, right. But, um, but he told them to go win the game. So, and look, the last thing you want to do as an owner is tell your guys not to win the game based on what's going on in Miami, right? With Steve That'd Ross. be terrible press. Yeah. So, um, so I, I – I, um, how did I feel about it when it happened? Um, I knew that the players were going to play really, really hard because that's what players do. Like anytime Seth hears about that, he's like, I don't know if people understand. Like guys are playing for their jobs. You know, like it's the guys aren't going to go out there and not try. Right. Um, in the moment, as I was watching it, it was a road game. So I was up at the station watching it in our, in our theater lounge up there. That's where we watched the road games. And I was up there with Clint Sterner watching it because we were getting ready. You know, we do post game. Cross game, yeah. Yep. And, uh, and I, I pushed a chair over after Jordan Aikens caught the touchdown. I did push a chair over. Cause at that oh, point, man. I, I'm not a, I'm not a root for losing throughout the I, season. Guys. I was just about to point that out. Cause yeah. I remember at the, at the beginning, or maybe it was a bit beginning. I think it was maybe three or four weeks in you, yeah. you said on air, I will worry about the draft when draft time comes. Right yeah. now, I just want to enjoy good football. Whatever that leads to, it leads to. Yeah, and that's generally how I am. I, I just have a hard time rooting against my team. But it was one of those things like, okay, now the end is in sight. You know what I yeah. mean? Like now we're, we're this close. Right. Um, we've come this far. We may as well get something out of it. And, and I think it, you know, it wasn't just that they won it was that the football gods were just giving us a gigantic middle finger yeah. in the process. Like two, are you kidding me? Two fourth and a fourth and 12 and a fourth and 20 and a two point conversion, you know, like it was just like the most improbable comeback ever, you know, like the fourth and 20 goes through, like literally goes through a guy's hands. Like, Safety. like, I, I, I mean, I can't, I can't express this enough, Ari, like it, like, it's if it had just grazed off a finger, it's not a touchdown. You know, like he'd have to catch it, just like have it change direction. It went, it was a swish. It went like through in between <laughs> his hands and didn't touch anything. It didn't it touch yeah. no rim. It was crazy. And it lands right in Jordan Aiken's hand. Jordan Aiken's, who, you know, like was this revelation for nine oh, games man. at the end of the year. It was just wild. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. I think it's he I he had to have done it on purpose. Like I, I've watched that play you think? over and over again. I, I mean, it I, looks like you're like it's the only I, viable explanation. You're probably right. His elbows aren't like fully extended if you look at the clip. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, so the Colts, the Colts, literally because I think they moved up two spots with that loss. They did. They would have been sixth, and they finished, and, and so, instead they're fourth. I don't know. And then Davis Mills makes the the prettiest throw he's made in his entire career in the NFL on that fourth and. Uh, what was it? That fourth and fifteen of the sideline. To Cooks, to, yeah, the to perfect Cooks. placement. We had, we didn't see him do that consistently for two years, but to we got Cooks, to see him to do Cooks, it when it mattered. To, to Cooks. Cooks, who quit on the team in the middle of the year, right? Like, yeah. like that was the other. Like, there's middle fingers everywhere in that whole thing. Yeah. So that that probably contributed more to my frustration in that yeah. moment. And the actual winning of the game was the way that they won the game. You know, like right. they had wound up winning. You know, uh, uh, twenty-seven to you know twenty-seven to nineteen or something like that. Yeah. Like, all right, well. You know, it is what it is, but holy crap. You know, no, like the way that final happens. drive. Yeah, yeah it's crazy. It was, it's it's crazy. crazy. All right. So free agency has I mean it, it's it's been a different free agency for the Texans this year. 
you know, I think I think everybody kind of knew where they were. I think Nick knew the organization knew where they were the last two years. And I think what he was doing was just clearing out. I've said it before. I can't think of another rebuild, Sean, that has been anything like what Nick Casario inherited. Mm -mm. If you add all the storylines, if you add the cap space, if you add the fact that the GM prior was not a GM and could not scout talent and add players through the draft that were going to stick around. I mean, he inherited a roster that was just not an NFL roster had a quarterback that quit and everything else that came with it. It's like, but the last two years, it's like, why isn't Nick spending? Why isn't Nick spending? And it's like, well, he, he, it looks like he wants to clear the cap to get to a point, build the foundation through the draft, fill holes through free agency, continue to build through the draft. Once the window ends of the Deshaun draft capital that was gained, I think at that point, he's probably all in on, on what free agency would look like. But what are your thoughts on free agency so far? Um, I, I like that he's shopping in a different aisle this year than he's been yeah. shopping in the last couple of years. Like he's brought in five or six guys who the last few years he brings in guys where you go, okay, well, he's a starter for the Texans. Yeah. Now he's bringing in guys who are their starters for the Texans, but they would start for a lot of teams, you know? Um, so I, like, I don't think anybody can have an issue with the, the prices, the value they're getting on an annual basis for, for guys like Jimmy Ward and, um, certainly Devin Singletary, Dalton Schultz, um, Sheldon Rankins, uh, you know, there's a myriad of other names. You know, uh, Robert Woods, I think, is a nice signing. It looks like the biggest problem people have is he's not signing these guys for more than one or two years. And I think the fact of the matter is not a lot of guys get signed for more than one or two years in the NFL anymore. The NFL's got kind of smart about the value of certain players, and it's become more of a disposable sort of league. I, I think the I think the, the combination of free agency and the Tunsil extension in the same week, I think is going to be uh, indicative of how he's going to go about that. I think, I think they're going to operate a lot like the Astros. That's what I said to Seth earlier this week, which is, which is they're going to, they're by and large, they're going to look to find guys and pay their own when they can. And, 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 and if possible, try to pay them early. If it makes sense, try to get them on deals where they're not hitting the open market and driving the price up. Cause we've seen the Astros do that with Bragman and Altuve right. and Jordan. And, and then even a guy like Verlander, once he was in yeah. house, they signed him to an extension, things like that. I think they're going to, I think they, they're going to feel like Tunsil's a known commodity to them. They watch him work every day. They watch it's, it's not just film on game day that they've watched of him. They've watched how he's operated. They've watched how he's operated as a highly paid player. And, and it's been, especially last year, it's been good. So I, I think their strategy is going to be with a few exceptions, probably, would be to pay their own, and then you fill the roster with shorter-term deals with guys that want to be here. I think the biggest thing is creating an environment that guys actually want to come play here. I think D'Amico is a big step in that direction. I think yep. Jack Easter being gone is another huge step in that direction. Like I, I don't know if D'Amico's here if Jack's still in the building. My guess is no. Right. Um, I would yeah. agree. Yeah, total guess. To total guess. But that my guess is no. So um, – so I, I, I'm as far as what they've done in free agency, I don't get as worked up about the lack of multi-year deals as, as yeah. other, as other folks do. Um, I, the Dalton Schultz one to me was the one that made me feel like they were a real football team again. It'd been a long time. Like Jimmy Ward's a nice player and Sheldon Rankins. I was like, Oh, okay. Well that's it. He's, he's been a good player. You know, yep. at times. Um, None of them are world beaters, but they're good, solid football players. Shaq Mason, the trade for Shaq Mason, uh, you know, that was a good trade. But the Dalton Schultz one was the one that made me kind of sit up and go, oh, okay, well, this is a guy who played under the franchise tag last year. Like, this is a guy who statistically 
has been in categories that only include Travis Kelsey and TJ Hawkinson and Mark Andrews and guys like that. Like that to me, that felt like when Tyron Matthew decided to come here back huh. in 2018. Yeah. yeah. Where you're like, oh, okay. You know, like the Texans had they drafted Deshaun Watson and it was coming off of Watson's rookie year and, and he only played six games or started six games, but you knew you had something special in him. And you had Hopkins and Clowney are on the team. So you got in JJ, obviously, but he'd been hurt the last couple of years. You had star power on the team. Yep. But the Texans were still, I think, kind of viewed as sort of a second-class citizen compared to the elite, elite teams in the league. And then Tyron Matthew decides to come here like, okay, well, that's a guy who was almost defensive player of the year two years ago. That's a, he's a star. Yep. I know he'd been injured, but he's a, he's a big name. Um, you know, Dalton Schultz is not as big a name as Tyron Matthew, but I think he's in that same category of player where like, okay, wow, like this guy's a – He's a good football player who probably had options. Yep. And he chose to come to the Texans. So that was the one for me that that I felt like, okay, man, now this thing feels like it's moving in the right direction. I don't care if they, you know, it would have been nice if they that is one signing. I'm like, if they had signed him for three years, I'd be like, awesome, give him three years. I feel like he's gonna age just fine. Um but, 26, but young guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's one year, and and there's my guess is that he is probably looking at this one year to try to cash in. Like you said, he's only 26. So he's going to try to be cashing in here at some point. Um, but that he saw this as a as an optimal opportunity to possibly do that without knowing who the quarterback was going to be, you know, um, that, uh, that he had that sort of trust in probably D'Amico Ryans, Bobby Slowick, the system. The yep. Kubshanistani system, as Seth likes to call it. It's so funny. Yeah. Uh, so um, that was the one of these signings. But overall, I'm, I'm happy. You know, I'm, ha- I'm happy with what Nick's doing. I think he's got a lot of line drive singles and doubles in this free agency class. There's nothing that's strapping you free agency-wise or contract-wise. And I think a lot of it, too, is he's probably waiting to see how whoever they get to be their long-term solution at quarterback is going to be. Like, if, you, if whoever they draft a quarterback shows over the next season or two, that they're going to be the guy. Well, now you start looking to go find guys that you sign for four or five years because you know what the trajectory of the franchise in general is going to kind of look like. Yeah, and I also think uh, I, I, I liked the Shaq Mason signing or trading. I thought that was probably one of the more significant trades that happened, probably the big, the biggest addition just based on what we've seen from this offensive line. But well, when you look at Dalton Schultz and you just look at the one-year deal, I think it ends up being like $6.25 million minus incentives, it has the opportunity to reach nine. I look at like players like him and Sheldon Rankins and I say, I could see by the buy next year, a potential mid-year extension long-term, right? Yeah. Because there's going to be a lot of questions answered within the first eight to nine weeks of next season, right? If there's a quarterback added, that quarterback's performing well, and there's a connection with Dalton Schultz, you know, maybe entering the buy, it's, hey, we'd like to go down a three, four-year, you know, deal, whatever it may be. But I think it gives him the, op- the like the opportunity to operate under that premise that if these guys work and they show me every day in the building that they are bought into the culture and bought into what we're trying to do. Totally. Here, I could do an extension midseason. I got you on the cheap already because it was a bad free agent class. Now yeah. I'm able to double down. It's a chance for both sides to sell themselves to each other. Correct. You know, it's that sort of burn-in period to, to sell themselves to each other. So I think it's a, that's a really, really good point. Um, and, I, you know, there's two. I, I, I mean, I've heard we have people text in like, well, if the other thing is if Dalton Schultz leaves to go on a big deal somewhere, you know, then oh, you get okay. a com- compensatory pick. I think the dicey thing about that, what people don't realize, you just don't automatically get compensatory picks. Like no. there's, a, there's a formula to it where 
it's a it's a net in the whole thing. It's not okay. We had five free agents leave and go sign deal somewhere, so we're getting five picks. Well, not if you sign five guys or more, it cancels everything out. So that part gets a little bit dicey. Those compensatory picks aren't automatic, and if you're operating the way Nick is with so many one and two year contracts, you're going to be dipping into free agency every year. So that part to me is maybe that's kind of funny money. You know what I mean? Like that's that's fuzzy math. Um, I think more the what you're talking about with with the chance to really sell yourself to each other, or if the season's not going the way you want it to, Dalton Schultz maybe gets you a third round pick at the trade deadline or something yep. like that. You know, well, yeah, 100. percent Or you can franchise him if you want to have more control to have more time to negotiate. I mean, there's so many different options that he could actually go down with this path. Yep. I think in the comp pick section, like they only got a comp pick this year because of the forfeited uh picks if i remember correctly like yes. it wasn't it had nothing to do with the signings of free agency it, it was pure luck at this point that they, they got a seventh round pick there i didn't know this rule <laughs> i didn't either there there unless there's 32 top picks given out then if there's less than 32 then they just start over with the draft <laughs> order and give out seventh round picks right. until they get to 32. I don't know what the rationale is behind that. I just love that the Texans, unless they move that pick, we're going to get Mr. Irrelevant on our right. team. <laughs> I thought it was the weirdest thing. It was very much like a, like that Oprah gift where it's like, you get a, you get a, and it's like yeah. everybody gets a seventh round pick where it's yeah. just like, nobody probably knew that rule even existed, to be honest with you. I, I had no idea. I don't, right. and, and still, I don't even get the logic behind it, but I'm like, I'm here for it. I'll take the 259th pick in the draft, baby. <laughs> exactly. The Brock yeah. Purdy. Um, yeah, no, for sure. So when you're looking at this defense now, you know, obviously it seems to be more and more Matt Burke is going to be the, the play caller. It, it hasn't been announced, but then, you know, the Texans put out a tweet yesterday, like new defensive players playing under Matt Burke. Like there's little things happening where it looks like that'll be the direction. I think this defense is going to take a massive step. I, I know you, you said like, we don't really know with Stingley. I actually think Stingley in a, in a, in a D'Amico Ryan scheme, the way that he asks his corners to play. I had Gary and Conley on uh, three, a, a couple weeks ago. And we were talking about his tape and he, he he's going to fit really well with D'Amico's scheme. Yeah. Um, and I think he could do really well. He was a press man in college. He played massive zone, like a ton of zone last year. Now he's going back to playing press man, uh, very physical corner. What do you think of this defense in, as a whole now with, you know, Sheldon Rankins, like all these players that have been added. I, I think I'm with you on uh, I'm with you on Stingley. I, you know, I'm, my my comment before was more about what he had done so far, just the yep. mystery still. But I'm 100 percent in agreement with you, Ari, on on uh, on what he could look like this year. You know, I, I don't I don't minimize the fact that this will be the same defense that Sauce Gardner had his defensive rookie of the year season in last year. Stingley looked so out of place all season long last year. And it was frustrating, not only because you're not maximizing this asset, it wasn't fun to watch. No, it was terrible. Like if they drafted him as a zone corner, first of all, you'd never use the third overall pick on a zone corner, but let's pretend they drafted him because he fit in that system better. Then I could, I could live with that. But not only is he being misused, he's being misused in the most boring way possible, you know? Right. And even and at times when they let him actually man up on guys, he did some good things. So yep. Um, so I, I I'm with you on Stingley. I love the addition of Ward next to Petrie and the yep. versatility that you have with both safeties. The fact that both have played slot corner at times. The fact that Petrie does a lot of his damage by being up near the line. That Jimmy Ward can play center field for you, or you can shift the two back. That the Petrie got so much experience at free safety last year to go with the things he does up near the line of scrimmage to be disruptive. I think it's going to be a really fun safety tandem. 
I feel really good about the secondary. Steven Nelson was good last year. You know, Desmond King was decent last yep. year. So I think I think the secondary. This is the this is the best I felt about the secondary maybe since Kareem Jackson and Jonathan and Joseph were part yep. of it. Um, so there's that. Um, I think I think there's still a lot of work to do in the front seven. Christian Harris should take a step. We'll see if Denzel Perryman can kind of recapture some of his magic. Uh, defensive line is still it's a lot of bodies. Sheldon Rankins is an upgrade over some of the guys they have. I still think that there's a big void on the edge. You know, Jerry yep. Hughes was kind of – his season was kind of top-heavy last year. He had – you know, he did things kind of in bunches. Um, but you got more out of him overall than you thought you were going to. Grenard needs to kind of have a comeback season. And stay I, healthy. Yeah, and stay healthy. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, so I don't feel great about the front seven. So I think they made some improvements. I think it'll be a better front seven. I think what makes me feel good about the front seven is D'Amico Ryans. Like, I think yeah. that's the area of the field where you've seen guys – You've seen guys in San Francisco, you've seen C-level players become B-plus level players. You've seen B-level players become A-level players in that front seven. Um, so, I, you know, is D'Amico going to have his hands in the clay like he would as a linebackers coach or defensive coordinator? coordinator? Obviously not to that extent because he's right. the CEO now Let's of the operation. Not. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I don't want him micromanaging like that. But I trust that he's bringing in and finding guys who have the similar acumen for teaching and developing – that he has. So I'm optimistic about the defense. If the defense can get to the middle of the pack, you know, they were 22nd in DVOA last year. And that was with being just atrocious against the run. Oh yeah. If they can just get to the middle of the pack and you've got a rookie quarterback who comes in and looks like he's not, not saying he needs to be a pro bowler, but doesn't look overwhelmed. Like he can move the football and get you points. Um, It's got a chance to be a really fun season because the schedule is not, they, they cross over with the NFC South. They play six games in this division, which is still a that's pretty nice division to be playing six games. And now those some of those teams are saying the same thing about the Texans. Absolutely. Colts and the Titans. But my point is there's a lot of winnable games on the schedule. So um, so I, I feel feel better. I mean, it's hard not to feel better about the defense. There's no, there's nothing that they've lost that I feel like, okay, well, they're gonna take a take a step back. And I and I think there's probably still another move or two in free agency that might be, you know, that might be um, available. So we'll see. Um, and, and then we'll see obviously what they do in the draft with that 12th pick that that'll be the big mystery. Do they go get a weapon for the quarterback or do they go get somebody they can feel or they feel can, can impact that front seven? Yeah, I think um, it'll be interesting to see you're right at 12. That's probably going to be the answer on defense most likely, unless they pair the young quarterback with a wide receiver, potentially, um, but I think the on the defensive side, I look at Vinovich, the addition of Vinovich on the yeah. edge. And I, I look back at his tape in New England, and he was an extremely productive player. Goes to Cleveland, disappears. It seems to happen to a lot of players. Uh, I, I think he could be a really good addition, but you're right. Like, maybe a Ty, like I don't even know if Tyrese Wilson will fall like, to 12. Maybe Cancy. If Jalen Carter's there, though. Can you see a situation where, in the past, the Texans stay away from character yeah. issues? Can you see that being a, a possibility? I, I, I don't, and here's why. I thought about that. I'm like, okay, do the Texans bring in Jalen Carter for one of their 30 visits? Yeah. You know? um, and that would be really interesting if they did. It would be a fun talking point if they yeah, did. Yeah, um, because as you know, as you know they, the Texans tend to have a higher threshold for what constitutes good – character both on and off the field I think than a lot of teams do and Carter's got issues in both of those areas right now I 
I was talking my way through it. I think even on the air, I was kind of talking. I was like workshopping verbally with Seth about this. And I started thinking, okay, they have the 12th pick. Unless they were to move up, you know, they felt good enough to move up. My feeling is they're at a spot in the draft. They're not going to use a second pick on him, obviously. No. They're in a spot in the draft where if if he's done enough cleansing to where the Texans would feel good about him at 12, somebody's going to take him way before 12. Okay. You know, they, like if they, that like, makes sense. That makes yeah, sense. Like it, That's like, a good way to look at it. Right. Like Seattle. Right. Um, the Raiders. Uh, Chicago. Uh, you know, I forget who the Eagles are there, you know, like they, all these teams that probably maybe have a sort of a kind of a lower, lower uh, standard for what is draftable and not draftable. I have a hard time believing that the Texans have a threshold at 12 that would not have already been met by one of those teams in front of them. So I, I think it's going to be a moot talking point because I, like, in other words, I think Jalen Carter is even going, he's either going fifth, He's going 28th. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't know that I don't know that he gets to I don't know that he gets to ninth or 10th okay. or 11th, you know? Yeah, that's totally fair. That's uh, you're actually now that I think about it, like if the Texans are willing to take him at 12, then there's got to be somebody then, else. Then, that, then that's Detroit's such a good point. taking him at six. Right. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my, my before the Dalton Schultz signing uh, and this will be the last Texans thing. But before the Dalton Schultz signing, I thought man, I hope there's a, a scenario where the Texans trade back from 12 to maybe, I don't know, maybe a quarterback falls Will Levis with the commanders and they could draft Michael Mayer. That is, for me, an like an ultimate win scenario. I think yeah. he's the best tight end in, in, in the draft. I think he, and you obviously, I would assume, feel the exact same way given your love for, for his school. So Yeah, yeah, I love Michael Mayer. Nick knows I love Michael Mayer. He That's gives good. me crap about it both. Uh, on on our show and uh, <laughs> via text all the time. Nice. Um, yeah. So um, yeah, he uh, he. Can you still see me? Yeah. Okay. Uh, my my phone rang and I. Uh, hang on. How do I get back to the? Because uh, I can't see you anymore. Uh oh. That's okay. Why are people calling me? Are you using uh, a Mac to record? No 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 no. Yeah. Hang on. Yeah. Uh, where's my Chrome? There we go. Got it. Got it. Um, I'm back. Okay. Uh, so uh, yeah, about Mayor. Yeah, Nick gives me crap all the time about that. About uh, about my love for for um, for Michael Mayer. He um, the day of the combine when they were interviewing him, he jokingly texted me and asked if I wanted to be brought in on Facetime for the Michael Mayer <laughs> interview. <laughs> so he knows my love for Michael Mayer. Um, I think tell you where he has him on his board. What's that? Did he tell you where he's at on his board? He did not. No, okay. no. All yeah, right. he, he he didn't. I know he likes him a lot as a player, but yeah. that's not anything that, new. Like I'm he, sure he, likes, know, a like lot he likes him, obviously. Um, but I don't know. If, I don't know where he is. Even among tight ends, there's a lot of good tight ends in this yeah. class, and they're and they're different shapes and sizes of yeah. tight ends. You know, like they're like I think Mayer's a different player than Kincaid, who's a different player. They're, the kid from uh, from Oregon? Georgia, oh. not. Darnell Washington. Washington, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, the non-Brock Bowers kid, yeah. Washington. He's a freak, you know, freak. like all those things. Yeah, so um, so I, I think Mayer is um, – I think he'd be a great fit for the system, you know, given the the need for blocking and catching the football that goes – you know, Dalton Schultz is not the greatest blocker in the world, so I almost think it's one of those systems that's like tight end agnostic. Like any type of tight end can probably fit into this system in some way. Um, Mayer at 12 is interesting because I do like Michael Mayer a lot, 
the one thing he doesn't have that maybe some of the other tight ends have is he's not like a he's not like this dynamite athlete. You know what I mean? Right. Like he's a brute. He's a brute, but he's like got kind of shorter arms. He's pretty good at catching contested balls in traffic, but he's, you know, like high pointing them and things like that is not is not like this a strong point is he's really, I think he's underrated as an athlete, but he's not like a superb athlete kind of thing. So my dream scenario is that teams just kind of start passing on tight ends a little bit because they're like, okay, well, there's five or six of them. We'll just wait till day two to get one. Yeah. And everything, everybody just slides. And then at 33, they get him. That would be my dream scenario. A 12 might be overdrafting him slightly, but that's probably getting a little too cute. You know what I mean? Like he's a good player. If they took him at 12, I think they'd be getting a really, really good football player. But I like your idea, Ari, of, uh, of, going of trading back at 12 yeah. in fact i just put up i think a that's poll. what happens I, yeah i i, I uh yeah I, I think i feel pretty strongly that they're not moving off of two but i feel pretty strongly they will move off of 12 um we saw them do it last year at 13 i actually put up a poll uh like an hour ago oh and i said assuming it's a qb at two what do you think casario will do with the 12th overall pick not what you want him to do what's your prediction and the four things are wide receiver best defensive player available, trade up, trade down. Which would you pick? I would trade I would trade back. Without you, that's what you think he would do? No, no, that's what I would do. Okay, no, this. my question was, what do you think? Oh, I, I think what, what do you think he'll do? I think he'll trade back as well. Yeah, I he, too. It, it all comes down to the value. So yep. he's all value. Everything that he can do is a value thing. So if he has a guy ranked that he doesn't believe is it is going to be taken, he's going to move back. And I, he even said it. He has four guys at each pick that he's comfortable with. Yeah. So if you think about how he approaches each pick from that situation, four players, if you're moving back four spots, you're guaranteed to have one of those players. Yes. That's how they wound up with – I mean, okay, this sounds like I'm saying something snarky here because Kenyon Green had a bad rookie year. Sure. But that's how they wound up with Kenyon Green last year. You know, I think they had – they were sitting at 13. They probably looked at Jordan Davis, Kyle Hamilton, Kenyon Green, maybe one other guy. And they said, okay, well, you know, two of these guys are going to be gone probably. They knew at least one would be because uh, yep. they were talking to the team that was moving up. For him. Uh, Philly, right. Um and, and they were comfortable with that. I, I, I totally agree with you. So I, I could see something like that. Washington's a good one. Like Washington, they felt like Washington felt like they need to jump some team between 13 and 15. But well, I think it's uh, I think it's Tennessee, right? I think Tennessee is 14. So they need they're going to need a quarterback. So I know, the Jets, I know the Jets are 13 because you. Can't, oh, that's right. You can't open up ESPN.com without finding that out because of the potential Aaron Rodgers trade. I'm pulling up Tankathon right now, the NFL draft order. 11th Tankathon. overall. So never mind, they're in front of them. Yeah, Tennessee's 11. New England is New England's 14. Yeah, so there's no real QB hungry teams. I guess the thing if you were Washington that you get worried maybe. about is somebody trading up to the with the Jets or the Patriots or you know whoever. Yeah. Or Green Bay. Like when the Texans traded up to get Deshaun Watson at 12. Uh they did that, I know, because Arizona was sitting there at 13 ready to draft a quarterback you know they Arizona wanted to draft a quarterback and would have probably drafted Deshaun so that'll get interesting I I do think he finds a way to move back there yeah like he moved back last year and there wasn't a quarterback involved in that at all you know could be Detroit could be you know they're at 18 yeah Uh, they're they're gonna need a guy behind Goff if Levis let's say like in, in a perfect scenario Levis or Richardson fall to 12 and they already have their quarterback yep you have Minnesota Detroit Washington Tampa Bay, yep. 
and Baltimore yep. are all potentially going to need quarterbacks. Yeah, yeah, like it's yeah, and I yeah, and I've even heard. Did you say Minnesota? I did. Yeah. So um, I think they like uh, what's his uh, Anthony Richardson, right? Yeah. I, well, I know they they they. There's been a lot of quarterback smoke around Minnesota lately. It feels like um, this. I know if that scenario plays out, Nick will be working the phones like a mother. That yep. that is that's a lock. He will be working the phones, trying like crazy to move back. He's yeah. the anti. He's the anti Brian Gain. Brian Gain did two drafts and didn't move a single time. I think Nick. I think half the guys, practically half the guys he's drafted, came from a pick that was moved. You know, either forward or back. Right. You know. Yeah, and I, I, Brian Gaines did nothing in free agency either. It was kind yeah. of weird. It's like, what did you do? Yeah. Um, you know, what did you do? But then he landed with Buffalo. I don't know. Um, yeah, interesting. Yeah, I think it, it's going to be fun to watch for sure. It, it's weird to me though. Like this is like the the like Christmas obviously for a lot of fans. But mm-hmm. like, do you remember when you were a kid and like Thanksgiving happened and then like Christmas just took forever? Like you were just like, is it yes. ever? Is it ever? Like what is? What else can happen between now and Christmas? <laughs> that is literally how it feels now every That's day. I'm like, what the hell is going on? Like, yeah, can this just happened. I know. I, I don't know. It's been a I while. Know. I know, like. even more than last year, because we know that there's probably going to be a quarterback involved in this thing. You know, right? The Texans are like the. T- it's fun because the Texans are front and center in all this. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like this, like it's any sort of talk about the top of the draft. It's all Panthers and Texans right now. So it's, yep. there's no Colin shortage Coward, of opinions out there. Colin Cowherd never talks about the Texans. That's I, I watch him every night before I go to bed. He, he yep. literally will not talk about the Texans at all. Um, he's been talking about them a lot lately just because he, he, he likes he, what they've been doing in free agency. And He and likes it. He does. He yeah. does. And it's super strange. Yeah. His uh, his producers from Houston, Jason McIntyre. No, no, oh, the no. actual producer. His actual producer behind the scenes, Greg Tui is his name. Oh wow, okay. Yeah, he's from Houston. He listens to the station. Like, it, oh, that's he, cool. He'll he'll and so he'll he will he'll text me or DM me from time to time during our show to say, hey, Colin's going to talk about this. Or I can tell <laughs> recently, like if like Colin asked, I think it might have been asked Sean Payton a question. About something Houston related. Yeah, the owner. Back when Peyton was on there, yeah, he's talking the about Cal. Yeah, and and, uh, and that question came from from Tui. Oh, you know, okay. like, and then he would text me, and be like, "Hey, I got Colin. I got Colin to ask this or whatever." So, um, so he's Tui's a he's a great dude. He's from Houston, so that's um, so that's always fun because there was a period for like two weeks where Seth and I were just destroying Cowherd like every day because of all the Peyton stuff. No, it makes sense, right? And and I would text greg and i'll be like hey man uh we we just destroyed colin today he's like yeah i was listening like he doesn't care like he (laughs) He doesn't care it's water off his yeah dude for every for every hundred thousand people that start destroying him that's another million bucks the guy makes you know he's he's, yeah he's a machine he's so good at what he does now he's got the volume network that he's doing as well with the podcast side um he's got the wine business really really smart guy Mm mm-hmm all right, before I let you go, Sean, because yeah. I kept you longer than I said I would. Um, favorite, I, I can't let you leave without talking about the WWE. Yeah. Your favorite WWE moment in history? My favorite WWE moment, probably, I'm going to go, I am going to go old school. Okay. Old school. Oh, wow. Okay. My favorite, my, my, my moment, my WWE moment where I'm like, Oh man, like this, I got to watch this every week. This actually like predates, this is like, boy, this is probably right around the time where Hulkamania was probably being born back in the mid eighties. Wow. When Rowdy, go look it up. 
Rowdy Roddy Piper hitting Jimmy Snooker in the head with a coconut on Piper's pit. Oh, yep, I've seen that one. Yeah, that was uh, – I was 14 or 15 at the time. It was 1984, I think. So I was 15. Yeah. Us nerds were talking about that in the cafeteria. On I can Monday only imagine. That was my – that's my – so that's that's my favorite moment that, that um, nobody listening or watching this right now has probably seen. Like as far as the – as far as like the uh, the attitude era, um, you know, that's a little more yeah. current, you know, kind of kind of more current stuff. Boy, there was so much stuff from from the attitude era. Um, the, the Montreal screw job, just because of oh, the man. historic significance of the yep. all the ripple effects from it was the a huge. Yeah, from from the uh, from the Montreal screw job. Um, anything with the Tyson and Austin build up to WrestleMania that year that was, was big gold, absolute gold. And then I'm a huge Mick Foley fan. So uh, the hell in the cell was crazy. Was I've great. had a chance to interview Mick a few times since then. And he's just, he's a really good guy and a great storyteller. Um, and just, you know, just somebody who's always, I've, I've always loved him as a performer because he's, he's like one of the least physically gifted guys. Right. He and gives up his body. He gives up his body, but, but it's, and it's not even that he's some sort of stunt man where you feel sorry for him because he's hurt all the time. That dude can talk. You know, like he's a great promo. So those are those are just some. I mean, there's so many, but those are the ones that pretty much you 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 can know that any of mine either come from like the the advent of WWF when Vince first bought it from his dad from like '83 through like '85, where the company was really transitioning, and then anything from like '97 through like '99. I mean, like, like I think of things just like Chris Jericho debuting. Oh my gosh! Rock, you know, that was like, the hugest Raw ever. That was yeah, like stuff like that. Like it's just you sent me that TikTok the other day with all those, um, with all the the Rock doing all his impersonations and, and cutting <laughs> his promos and clowning guys and stuff. I'm like, man, they just don't have stuff like this anymore. No, you know, they don't. Yeah, I what's think yours. Yeah, I think it, it's tough. And I honestly can't remember the specifics. I tried to find it all day yesterday. And I think it's also because of another moment that was happening in my life. So I was 10. Uh, I was being babysat by like this extremely gorgeous girl named Holly. Um, she had a sister named Christy. And she was probably one of the prettiest women I've ever seen at, the, at that time, right? Yeah. I was 10. Um, and so I got to order Royal Rumble. And it was the one where, and I can't remember even who it was. I think it was Shawn Michaels or Bret Hart. But they kept going back and forth on who won the Rumble. It was it was either Bret or it was... Lex Luger. Lex Luger, 97. Okay, it was... No, it was 90. It was 90. 95. Uh, it was 90. It was 90, uh, 94. They both Did they both go over the top at the same yes. time? Yeah, and yeah it was yes. Lex Luger. It was 94 Rumble because that was WrestleMania 10 that year. So they would play like the like they'd play Lex Luger's uh, it, it, like entrance music as like he's won, and then yeah. it'd go back and it'd be Bret Hart, and then it'd yeah. be Lex and then Bret Hart, and then Lex and Bret Hart. And I'm over here flipping out because I was a huge Bret the Hitman Hart. Yeah. Fan. Um, and uh, I acted like the biggest nerd in front of a Holly, and I'll never forget it because I'm sitting there like pumping my fist, screaming every time Bret Hart's music would come on, and I think to myself, I'm like. I have no shot with her now. Little did I know at that time. Ten years old. Yeah, right. That's what I'm, little did I know at that time. I had no shot in general. I <laughs> love your confidence, though, dude. So that would have to be it. But anything with Stone Cold or Triple H or oh, or, yeah. or, or uh, The Rock were always fun. I love <sighs> DX. I thought DX was just that fu was needed, and I, I think that was such a cool part. Um, yeah, it was just a fun time. I really wish. 
I, I stopped watching after the draft. I, I just couldn't. When they started drafting guys on either yeah, side. Yeah, it was like SmackDown is this sick and then Raw. I, I just, there was too much to keep up with at that point. I was like, never mind. Yeah, the part that, I, I mean, I still watch it to this day. I'll watch WrestleMania next week. And I'm not, I don't religiously watch Monday Night Raw every week. But I still keep, I still keep plugged into the product. And I, and, and my wife enjoys it, fortunately. So that we've helps. been to, we've been to a few WrestleManias together. Um, if there's a pay-per-view on, we watch it on Peacock, that kind of thing. Um, I think the thing that like where it started to go from must watch for me to like, okay, well, I'll, I'll still keep and keep watching it. But boy, this really turned me off was when they bought WCW mm. and then they totally botched the invasion the angle. Like they, they had such like a ready made, like, this is what we've been waiting for as fans yep. for like 20 years. Like Crockett turned into WCW and they were, and then Bischoff was going after them. It was and perfect. It was, it was set up perfect, perfect, and they just turned it into Vince McMahon masturbation. You know, yeah, like, it was super weird. Yeah, like I was. That was I. There rarely do I get like rarely do I take it personal when angles get botched on wrestling. Like, oh, they own the company; they can do whatever right. they want storyline wise, and it's up to me to like it or not. That was one where I was like, "You assholes!" You know? Yeah. Like, no, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, awesome. Okay. Well, Sean, uh, thank you so much. Let the follow or my listeners and, and watchers and all of those people know where they can find you. They, sure. Not that you need to. They already do, but that's all right. I like I'm about over communication, baby. There we go. So yeah. So six to ten AM on Sports Radio six ten with me and original Houston Texan Seth Payne. You can download the Odyssey app and and uh, either listen live or rewind when you if you you know if you're jumping in your car at seven and you miss the beginning of the show, you can rewind and certainly subscribe to our podcast. Podcast numbers are doing really, really good right now. I have a podcast with John McClain called the yep. Utopia Football Podcast. It's H O U Topia that we do twice a week. So um, so I do that podcast with John. And I have a Sunday show on CBS Sports Radio that I do as well from one to five PM on Sundays nationally, that's also on the Odyssey app, and then on social media. Uh, I'm on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, and you can find me at Sean T. Pendergast on Twitter is the easiest one. I think it's Sean.Pendergast on Instagram. But if you search my name, S-E-A-N, and then Pendergast spelled like it sounds, you'll find me on there. So appreciate you having me on, man. This was a lot of fun. We'll do it again for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I really appreciate it, Sean. All right, guys. Well, that's going to wrap up Texans Unfiltered. I'll catch you guys next week. Uh, make sure you guys hit the click, like, and subscribe. And thanks for viewing.